Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. This is part two of my chat with Froggy. He started hashing in 1978 in Bandung, hashed all over Asia. All over Indonesia, especially Jakarta, was key figure behind the scenes for Goa Interhash and has emceed many of the Interhash Down Down contests. We pick up talking with Froggy. I want to get to you know the, ha- the Interhashes, Goa, and your role behind behind the scenes in these things, the Hash Down Down contests. But before we do that, let's talk about misadventures on these trails. Things like people coming in late. Have you ever gotten hurt or seen seen people get really hurt or lost? Or yeah, yes, I have, and I'll just get my own little thing out of the way. My very first run in Kota Kinabalu. Again, that must have been way back in I don't know, nineteen eighty eight, eighty nine, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my very first run. I arrived late. And the runners had all gone off, and I parked my car a little distant from where the other cars were. There was no obvious place to park. So I parked my car there. Somebody said, oh, they went off in that direction 20 minutes ago. So I pounded off and started following, following the trail as best I could, and I got lost. This was real hilly, thick, dense wood, well, forest, really. I, I got totally lost, and I could hear the sounds of the circle going, uh, can't remember how far away, maybe a few hundred meters, and I was trying to work my way along towards it through this brambly uh, forest. Suddenly the ground was well fall, fell away from me, very suddenly, and I fell into these brambles, and I was lying, well it was more than brambles, and I was lying there, exhausted, it was dark by this time, and I thought, shit, this is, this could be serious. I mean, how can I get out of this? Eventually I did, and I got back to the car, and everybody had gone. Wow. <laughs> they didn't even know I had been there. Everybody had gone, and I thought, that was a bit risky. But anyway, that happens to lots of people. But I'll tell you one or two things that did happen. Both happened when I was running in Hong Kong. One happened on the... Uh, the Free China Hash, which is uh, once a month, uh, I think it's a Saturday run, and these are long, hard runs, I mean, really long, hard runs, mixed hash. On this particular one, a visitor, somebody had brought a visitor. During the run, I think he was struck by lightning. Wow. That's what it was. He was struck by like he was right at the very back, he was struck by lightning. A girl who was not far in front of him saw what happened. It was uh, Motormouth, she was called. And Motormouth, she went back to help him, but he, you know, he was either dead or almost dead. And it, again, it was getting, starting to get late, starting to get dark as it does early in, in Asia. People went out looking for them, they couldn't find them. And she spent all night out in the, the open hills with this dead guy until early in the morning a helicopter came out and searched around and managed to find them and bring them in. Oh. So that, that was one incident. But there was another one 
Another incident, not so much before that, there was a hasha called Dog Bite. I think it was Dog Bite. We, we went on, it was a one chai hash, and we went out to Lantau Island on one of these big ferries. And we hadn't commandeered all of it. I think there's still public on it. And we got these, this, it was a public ferry, yeah. We went out there, we had a great run. Fantastic food as there always is in, China, in Hong Kong. And on the way back, he fell off the ferry in the dark into the South China Sea. Now, this is a big bloody ferry. And how the hell, I really don't know to this day, how the hell they managed to get the ferry to stop and turn around. And in the dark, we actually found a dog bite. So, still a little pissed. Maybe not as pissed as before he fell in, but waving, waving his arms and paddling like hell to keep afloat because we were miles away from any land. The next problem was how to get him back onto the boat and we're throwing down ropes and eventually somebody had to go down, I think it might have been camel, but somebody had to go down a rope and grab him and haul him back up again. But that was another disaster in the making. He was so bloody lucky. But anyway, these things happen. Yeah, no, they're good stories, and yeah, there might be, yeah, somebody might hear about them and remember it or remember the story. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff. What about uh, the first time you went to a regional event or interhash? Do you remember when that started for you? I think my first big regional event probably was, oh no, it was way before, way before Goa. God knows, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it must have been around about 86, 1986, 88. I can't remember what the interhashes were back then. Or was uh, Pat, Patia, Bowie. Yeah, certainly. I went, I went to Patia. I can't remember which day that, day that was. I went to Cardiff. That was before, before that, before Goa. I think there was another... It's just struck me. I, I do remember, I do remember the first hash that we went to. I went to Interhash. Uh, it was um, in Bali in 1988. Right. A big contingency of us went from Jakarta. We took with us a giant penguin made out of papier mache. This was about 10 feet tall. And we took that along. It had been made by uh, another great hasher called Chris Beebe. Chris is into fireworks and fires and things. And anyway, we went on stage uh, with this big penguin, and inside the penguin was BB, Chris BB, and the penguin, our hasher, Ron Strachan. This penguin, there was some music playing, somebody was talking a dialogue on the mic, and at various stages, BB would squirt water out of his penis. And the penguin was throwing lit fireworks out the arse of this huge, <laughs> this huge thing. The next thing, BB bursts out, bursts out of, through the papier mache and he escapes. And we're all wondering what's happening. Then the smoke and the whole bloody thing was going up in fire. <laughs> and nobody to this day knows if BB did it deliberately or not. <laughs> I think not. But, you know, the penguin was trapped inside this huge Papier mache construction, and he would have immolated himself. He would have burnt to death uh, had it not been for the, the generous uh, deeds of the 5,000 hashers who were all watching. 
And as as a man, they all threw the beer over this flaming this <laughs> <laughs> and saved the penguin's life. That was my first interhash. Yeah. Was that the first time that you joined the traveling crew of the Jakarta hashers? Yes, I think that was the first time I, I did any sort of big regional events. Yeah. We'd run weekend events away. Uh, you know, you'd go to the other end of Java or someplace. You know, I'd go with them and we'd be joined by other local hashes. Nothing, nothing nearly as big as like a, like an interhash or a regional hash, no. And when did you first get to a hash with your travels out of Asia? Was there any extended ones? Not just an incidental travel, but did you hash anywhere where you lived for a spell? No, not really. Well, I did. I, I hashed when, between my various trips to different countries. When I was back in London, I hashed on and off, again, basically just as a visitor. There were two or three hashes I would go to, which, yeah, they, they were good people, you know, and enjoyed their company. But basically, you know, you're running in the city, you know, nearly all the time. You're running in traffic, you're running in the city. People uh, have got families to go home to, or they've got cars, and so, you know, the circle doesn't last very long. There are very few down-downs, and it doesn't last long. For me, it was just lacking the vitality, the, the, the enthusiasm, the madness of what I take to be hashing. So I didn't run as much in London as, as perhaps I should have. Yeah, the, the exiles hash took me to various places, took me to, to France, to Le Mans. It took me, oh, God knows where else. All, mostly all over Britain, but it took, went to France several times, once to Spain, I think. But again, those away weekends were great with the exiles hash because they were all ex-exiles and knew what hashing really was all about. And they were great weekends. Yeah, but, and had the, the shared common experience of yeah, Asia hashing. Absolutely, absolutely. So those were great times. Yeah, I think my first big, real big event was, well, it must have been the Goa hash in 19, what was that? 2000, no, that wasn't, that wasn't. Yeah, I'd been to Pattaya, I'd been to Phuket, and I'd been to Cyprus, of course, in what was that? 96, yeah. yeah. Which I didn't enjoy as much as the others. A couple of bad runs, it was barn, dusty, too hot. Maybe it was just my bad choice. It wasn't quite up to what I expected. And then 98 to KL. That was supposed to be 60th anniversary they hosted. Oh, God, yeah, 60th anniversary. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was great. Uh, Malaysians know how to hash. That was, that was good. I think the big disappointment was more, more from the ladies because the Harriets, because the, the event, if I remember correctly, was held in a stadium. Merdeka Stadium, yeah. Yeah, that's it. There were lots of toilets for men, but virtually nothing for <laughs> the women. And, you know, that, that, that was a, a big oversight. Somebody should have clocked that beforehand. But, you know, that was good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the KL stuff. They used Merdeka Stadium. I thought they told us they're going to knock it down right after this. But, again, it was there in 2018. They had another anniversary. And it's still standing. Oh, really? 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, buildings going up all over it, hovering over it, the high rises, but the stadium's still there with its very few female toilets. You weren't quite there. You were watching Jakarta do their inner hash in 1982 from ministry office. When did you get involved first with uh, anything behind the scenes with the inner hash? Well, it was uh, 2002 when the Penguin phoned me up and said uh, he was on the, the Interhash organizing committee, which I think initially had been started off by Digit. The Penguin said, um, we're running into some problems and we need a bit of engineering input. Would you be interested in joining the, the committee? So I met with the Penguin and Digit in London, I think it was, they talked me into going out to Goa for Interhash. Now, this is only about three months before the event, maybe I'm missing that. So I went out to Goa, and I saw the, the site that had been planned and was going to be the venue for the, for the whole event. And when I saw it, I Christ, my heart dropped. The event was going to take place a couple of weeks after what is normally the end of the wet season. Right. Now, you know how unpredictable weather is these days. And anyway, this was, the site was, it was like the delta of the, the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> the thing would have flooded. It would have, there would probably still have been water in it. And I, and I said, look, there's no way you can have this as your site. If we get a late rain, the whole thing's washed out, end of, end of story, no interhash. So I looked around and I found another virgin site along the coast of it and drew up some plans for it. And we went to see the, the owner, who I believe was actually a nearby hotel. And they said, yes, yes, you can, you can use it. It'd be nice if you could level it out a bit for us, which suited us. We needed a level site. So anyway, I went, back to the UK, then came out a couple of weeks before the event, maybe three weeks before the event, and a lot of the international committee was already there doing the various things, organising buses and God knows what else. We we still didn't have a covered site. I mean, they had levelled the ground whilst I was away, but, you know, there was nothing else on the site. So in three weeks, I had to organise and get constructed um, a huge, well, how big would it have been? Probably 80, 90 metres long by 25 metres wide. A huge covered uh, arena, which ended up being something like 25, 30 feet high. Because uh, we commissioned uh, a company who puts up scaffolding for buildings. And they got all the bamboo uh, they could created a, a bamboo structure around which they uh, put on a, a temporary roof and sides, canvas sides, and actually created in whew, probably just over a week uh, a whole new covered arena under which we could have the band, the MC. Were you, uh, actually, were you the MC on that? Yeah, Charlie Dynamite, Charlie and I both. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so we got covered area for everybody to be entertained in case the rains did come. But also, in that short period, we had to get toilets for everybody, create bars 
somebody had a great idea where you just cubes of ice and you form them into maybe two meet, create a, a dry area two meters wide by seven or eight meters long, build up a wall of ice blocks all around it, throw in some ice and throw in all your beer. And, you know, we created a dozen of those so that people just walked past an ice box, these big ice areas, and just picked out cold beers. So that was great. But, you know, we had to get, yeah, toilets and all sorts of things organized. And one of the sad, one of the dangerous things, actually, with all these little ants scrambling over the well, ants, they were the construction people, climbing all over these very small dimension bamboo poles that were holding up the whole caboodle. You know, they weren't wearing safety helmets or anything. And, you know, my being a... Or shoes, yeah. Civil engineer, or shoes. <laughs> or, you know, being a civil engineer, I thought, shit, you know, I'm in charge of this. I could be sued and Christ knows bankrupted or whatever. We couldn't stop the construction. We had to push ahead and get it done. And every day, you know, this, as we got closer to the opening day of the event, this whole structure, every single day, it sort of tilted another five degrees off the vertical. <laughs> and if you remember, we used to always have 6 a.m. meetings in the whole committee. We'd meet at 6 a.m. to discuss you know, what was to be done next, how things were going, who needed support, all sorts of things. And, you know, I was always asked to report on what what uh, degree the, the whole thing was uh, now angled at. But anyway, was, that, that, that was fun. And the whole thing was all opened on time. I don't know from the, the hashers who participated in the event, I don't know how they really found it, but for me it, it was great excitement, you know, the the whole event being part of a, an organizing committee. And I thought, shit, this, I quite like this. So next time round, where did, I don't know where the next Intahash was. No, it was at Cardiff. I think it was Cardiff. It was, yeah. Yeah. Well, by the Cardiff time, we were just, as you well remember, we were just beginning to get this Interhash advisory group loosely together to, to advise on what could be done or give support to the organising committees. Although I didn't play a big role in that, yeah, it was nice to feel you were you know, on the periphery giving advice. And I ran a couple of circles. A couple of things that happened in Goa that I remember that maybe give people an insight into how this was. We had, I don't know how often before that there were big video screens but in Goa we had some video screens and wanted to run them to the back I remember coming talking with you and saying could we build could we dig a trench and lay some cable back here and some magically somehow you would communicate and a crew showed up with shovels and all of a sudden a trench was dug in the next 45 minutes or so yeah well Things had to happen quickly there or they wouldn't happen at all. But it was, it was great. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't want to claim credit for every, all the engineering. There were lots of people very willing, including uh, Brown Eye, who was always saying, oh, I'll help, I'll help, anything I can do. There were always people willing to take on tasks to make sure the whole site was ready in time. And, and that was a great, a great feeling to see everybody, you know, making a contribution where they could. That was a unique interhash mismanagement committee because it was not a local kennel. There was no Goa club. Apart from the the tilt of the 
venue building, what was the stress level of the committee as things approached? Was it calm? Was there? <laughs> uh, I think just about everybody seemed to have some some major problems, you know, getting medical facilities to back up the, the runs, uh, uh, even to get some food. I remember the problems with food. Uh, I don't know the details. I was too preoccupied with my own sleepless nights trying to wonder, you know, how I was going to get toilets for people or showers or, Christ knows, get water to the site, never mind anything else. Get electricity. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was an, it was just a mum. I was too, too fraught with my own problems to really pay too much attention to everyone else's. It was an amazing experience. I think it's fun to think back on it because the two years hence in Cardiff, we had a professionally managed and crewed stadium. So yeah. everything was there. We still ended up with Brown Eye, Garfield, a lot of these people, had yeah. the Penguin coming down with me, and we had to actually erect a whole bunch of barriers around the stage. There was a whole six hours of work construction, but it was just six hours. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, of course, that people cool. don't know about. That's Here's one memory that maybe will give you an answer about how people perceived it. 30 minutes before the event opened. The, the venue was enclosed. It had a barrier to keep locals from just wandering on and stealing right. bags and getting on. Yeah. And yeah. a half hour before, the stage was just about finished. Somehow I had gotten a crew of a whole bunch of the construction ants, as you called them, with hammers. And we're walking around the stage and I'm just saying, nail, nail. And they pound in the nails that were sticking up. And as soon as I said, I think it's clear, I think it's safe, the gates burst open and all those people rushed in at once, walked over, grabbed a beer, the music was playing, and they just thought, wow, what a wonderland. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, that, that was great, that, that search. I remember, I, I, I remember I was walking towards the gate and I was right beside the, the gate. We'd constructed just a huge, uh, maybe 10 feet tall, receptacle, net receptacle, for people to throw their empty cans into as they were leaving. So I was walking towards that just as the gates opened. And, you know, thousands of people came towards me. And I thought, shit, this is, it's like walking the wrong way around the Kaaba in, in <laughs> fighting against the crowds, you know. Eventually he just gave up and went with them. I, I remember turning back and just going with them to the nearest uh, ice bar and picking a beer out, a can of beer out and having it and thinking, that's it, that's it, we've done, it's open. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was a great moment because most of the inner hatches now, uh, although people will arrive maybe from the runs and big busloads, this was everybody and everybody that was going to inner hash was behind that fence waiting for five o'clock or six o'clock, whatever it was to open the gate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was a good experience. There's so much that happens behind the scenes. What happened at the end? The teardown and do you remember anything about that? Uh, a little, uh, yes, I remember a little. Somehow we ended up with far too much beer, cans of beer, and we had a, oh, Christ knows, it must have been 
about 40 cases of beer unused. We were giving, we were giving it away as people were leaving on the final night. We said, look, take this, please take this. And we're handing out all these cases, the cases of beer. But we were still left with loads at the end. And I don't know, I don't know how Digit managed to get rid of it. <laughs> that, that was a problem. I didn't stay to see the destruction of the canopy, the State, the state, the whole stage construction, yeah. Stage construction. I didn't wait to see the end of that because I really had to get back to the UK as quickly as possible. My wife's not a great fan of fashion. I had to get back as soon as I could, having been away for about three weeks. She thought, you know, that's, that's long enough. Get back as soon as you can. So I did, yeah. And when was your final, the end of long-term Asia? That probably ended early 2000, 2000 and, oh no, let's see. Well, apart from the Interhashis, which quite a few of those all ended up out in Asia, you know, in Perth and Kuching and Borobudur, which was a fantastic uh, event. I was running latterly in Hong Kong in 2002, 2003, right about then. Again, I was in and out because I had a project there. I was in and out for short spells running with oh, many of the Hong Kong hashes. You know, the Wan Chai, the Free China, the Royal South Side, which I, uh, I really loved that. There were some really fantastic hashers on that. One of them, oh God, what, Nutcracker, a Scottish guy. Uh, Nutcracker, so, so funny. I mean, he, he's so funny, he could make your goldfish laugh. This <laughs> he couldn't keep quiet if there was anything funny to be said, and he, he always had something funny. In fact, I ended up uh, writing regular little stories about Nutcracker and his escapades on the hash, him and the penguin. But so latterly, I was running in Asia. My, my last regular runs, I suppose, were with the Hong Kong hashes, mm-hmm. which Hong Kong's fantastic, unbelievable, uh, hilly and great country for hashing in. I, I don't know if you, Ralph, you've, if you've run there, but. Not, yeah, I have. So you and I, and a lot out in the new territories, a lot of the clubs would go out to, too. Yes, yeah, very often we did. Yeah, very often we moved, we ran out there. It was just great countryside. And, you know, quite often, <laughs> Quite a lot of uh, indigenous Chinese started back in those days would would run, and some of them quite old. And from a history of carrying over their shoulders uh, two water buckets on a pole, you know how they used to. Uh, yeah. You know, they'd all sort of slightly stooped, even when they took these poles and buckets away. As they get older, they were all still slightly stooped forward. And, uh, <laughs> which was great. It was great for running up hills. These guys just found it so natural running up hills. But they got to the top and they couldn't get off. Because trying running down a hill, leaning forward, they kept falling in their faces. <laughs> Even if you go to Hong Kong today and you look at the hills, it's still full of old, old hashers, bent forward and they can't get off. You've got to, people have got to go up and help them down and get them back to the circle. Yeah, good. <laughs> That's part two. Next episode, the third and final part with Froggy.
This is the On On Podcast. Hasher stories, Hasher voices, Hasher histories. With new episodes every week. Until next time. On On. This is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child.